This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to Extraterrestrial Reality. Well, today I had certain plans to do a certain kind of podcast about extraterrestrials and UFOs, but those plans got smashed to pieces this morning when I received a text message from Shannon Scott of Military Witnesses to UAP. Uh, Shannon basically sent me a link to an article that appeared in today's New York Intelligencer. It was an article written by a novelist named Nicholson Baker, and uh, the headline reads, No, aliens haven't visited the Earth. Why are so many smart people insisting otherwise? Ugh. I, I saw that article. I had a smile on my face when I first received that text message message from Shannon, and then that smile just t- totally dropped off my face. And I, as I skimmed through this piece of garbage article that uh, was written by this Nicholson Baker, this guy has written like ten uh, fiction novels, uh, among uh, and uh, three of which were uh, pornographic in nature, uh, according to Wikipedia. Uh, and uh, I saw that headline, and I was like, "Oh, here we go." Here we go. Right off the bat, the headline is, you know, he, he admits his stupidity, basically. He says, because he says, no, aliens haven't visited the Earth. Why are so many smart people insisting otherwise? Well, they're because they're smart people. Smart people are insisting otherwise because it's real. That's why, Nicholson. And by the way, who names their kid's first name Nicholson? What the hell? Anyway, uh, yeah, aliens have visited Earth, and you can't understand it because you haven't actually you haven't done the research like you should have, or you wouldn't be making such asinine uh, remarks. But anyway, let's go through this piece of garbage that uh, was penned by this author, uh, Nicholson Baker, and we'll we'll talk. We'll, we'll, I'll break it apart. I'm going to tear it to pieces right now. Uh, it says here there has never been a worse time to be a UFO skeptic. Uh, that's false. Uh, we're not talking about skeptics here. You're talking about debunkers because that's what you are based on this article that you put out. You're a debunker now. That's who you are. You're, you're just as, you're no different than the people like Mick West, Jason Colavito, Stephen Greenstreet. You're in that lump of people now. Uh, a bunch of people who are disingenuous morons. That's who you are now. Uh, you're not a skeptic. I'm a, everybody's a skeptic. I should, I'm a skeptic. I'm a skeptic when it comes to certain t- aspects to uh, the UFO phenomenon. There's certain stories I do not believe. There's certain stories I question. Uh, there's great reasons to be skeptical about uh, certain aspects of the uh, UFO phenomenon. Uh, but I'm not a debunker. But that's what you are, and, and your article here proves it. Anyway, continuing here, it says, Last month, Sean Kirkpatrick, the head of the Pentagon office responsible for investigating unexplained aerial events, stepped down. He said he was tired of being harassed and accused of hiding evidence, and he lamented an erosion in, quote, our capacity for rational, evidence-based critical thinking, end quote. Well, obviously, after reading this article, yeah, I mean, you know what? Not only does he not have critical thinking skills, because he, he really doesn't. Sean Kirkpatrick doesn't. He doesn't have ex- explanations. He doesn't provide the explanations that are required in this field because he's, he's lying. He's, he's, telling, he's providing mistruths and misinformation and disinformation, and he's not telling the truth, uh, either willingly or unknowingly, one or the other. He's not received the kind... Obviously, either he's working for the secret control group that has been covering this up for decades, or he's just a useful idiot to them, and they did not provide him the information that he needed, and that's why he's skeptical about this, and that's why he thinks... That's why he had to get out of it. He couldn't deal with it. He, he couldn't stand the heat, so he had to get out of the kitchen. 
He quit. The guy's a quitter. Anyway, it goes on here. It says, he may have been pushed over the edge by a pair of events from the past summer. In June of last year, Abby Loeb, an astronomer at Harvard, announced that he had found some tiny blobs of metal by dragging a magnetic sled over the bottom of the Pacific near Papua New Guinea. He claimed that these blobs were metallic droplets that had melted off an interstellar object that might have been, quote, a technological gadget with artificial intelligence, end quote, the product of beings from another star system. Again, he's, Loeb is still investigating this. Well, what's wrong with doing that, I guess? I guess a lot of people in the debunker world have a problem with scientists actually doing real science. They, they rather sit back on their duffs uh, outlining their porno novels and and then criticize people who are real scientists out there doing the work uh well just let's be clear nicholson baker is not he this guy's not a scientist i don't he's not that he's just someone who writes books that's who he is and articles and actually he, according to wikipedia he actually edits wikipedia pages i wonder if he's part of the guerrilla skepticism on wikipedia i wonder if he's part of that organization i i i, I wonder now uh, I, I don't know, but maybe he is. Anyway, and then continues here. It says, in July, David Grush, a former intelligence officer, stepped out of the shadows to announce that the United States military establishment currently possesses a small fleet of non-human pre-owned flying saucers. He didn't call them saucers. He called them UAP or unidentified anomalous phenomena, which used to be called UFOs, but basically we're talking saucers. Uh, Grush's story, well, again, he's making fun of this whole subject. He doesn't believe in it. So, you know, he's, he, he's, it's such a tough time to be a skeptic. Actually, what he really meant to say, it's such a tough time to be a debunker, especially when you got people coming out of the woodwork like Grush, along with 40 other uh, whistleblowers who are telling Congress in closed-door sessions about what they're uh, working on in behind the scenes. And these things that they're working on are not, are not, are not of this world. And see, this guy, I don't know if he doesn't get that part or what's what, why his head's so far up his butt here. I, I don't understand what's going on here with this goofball. Uh, anyway, continuing here, it says, Grush's story first reached the public via a journalist named Leslie Kane, uh, who had co-written a hugely influential article about UFOs that appeared on the front page of the New York Times in 2017. She and Helene Cooper, a Pentagon correspondent for the paper, along with a writer named Ralph Blumenthal, revealed that Senator Harry Reid had gotten the Pentagon to create a secret, mysterious $22 million program to study UFOs. A few, year, few years later, Kane was a subject of a long profile in The New Yorker by staff writer Gideon Lewis Krauss with the web title, How the Pentagon Started Taking UFOs Seriously. Thoughtful, sensible-seeming, non-crankish people at Harvard, at The New Yorker, at The New York Times, and at the Pentagon seemed to be drifting ever closer to the conclusion that alien spaceships had visited Earth. Well, let me just stop there for a second. If you were to actually do research on this, you would come to the conclusion that that's indeed what has been going on here for all these decades and that there indeed is most certainly a cover-up by some faction within the United States government as well as other governments of the world to keep this a secret. There's no question about it. If you did the research, you would understand this, but this guy did not do the research. His research probably most likely comes from uh, books written by the late Philip Class or Philip Ass or whatever his name was. Uh, anyway, continuing here. Uh, everyone was being appallingly open-minded. Yeah, skeptics, they don't like when people start uh, cr using critical thinking skills because that goes against their their uh, uh, teachings. That they can't. You're not supposed to use critical thinking skills when it comes to this topic because then, then you'll know the truth. Anyway, 
Continuing, yet even after more than 70 years of claim sightings, there was simply no good evidence. Well, let me just stop there for a second here. I, I just did a podcast yesterday where I was talking about physical trace evidence. I mean, there's, there was a, and this was as only up to 1975. There was this guy, he's now passed on. His name was Ted Phillips. He did a whole bunch of uh, uh he investigated a whole bunch of UFO cases where these where you were multiple witnesses, uh, sometimes multiple witnesses saw a UFO landing and then taking off. Sometimes they saw the occupants walking around and then the UFOs would take off and they left physical trace evidence on the ground. That is evidence. That's called evidence. Check it out, man. It's called evidence. If any of these cases ever went to a court of law, there would be people presenting the evidence in pictures and in studies of the soil, the soil that has been drained of, of, of moisture and that can no longer germinate seeds, that there would be evidence that would be presented in court that would help to show, to prove that yes, obviously something was here and something did this. These people weren't lying. It's called evidence. That's what it is. Physical trace evidence. Anyway. In an age of ubiquitous cameras and fancy scopes, there was no footage that wasn't blurry and jumpy and taken from far away. Okay, there's a lot of pictures. Some of them are actually pretty up close, I think. I mean, they, you ever heard of debunkers? They always say, it's always blurry. It's always blurry looking. No, they're not. No, they're not. Not always. You ever seen the McMinnville picture? That's not blurry. That's pretty, you see it, it's a saucer. I mean, I, I don't know how many pictures I've shown on this podcast over, over the last uh, three years, close to three years. Objects have taken recently. I mean, they're flying saucers. They're still around. They're still around there, dude. What are you talking about? They're not all blurry. Anyway, um, continuing here. There was just this guy, Grush, telling the world that the government had a crash retrieval and reverse engineering program for flying saucers that was totally super secret and that only people in the program knew about the program. Grush said he had learned about it while serving on a UAP task force at the Pentagon. He interviewed more than 40 people and they told him wild things. He said he couldn't reveal the names of the people he interviewed. He shared no firsthand information and showed no photos. He said the program went back decades, back to the saucer crash that happened in Roswell, New Mexico. Grush seems sincere and polite and cheerful. In interviews, he has said he's on the autism spectrum, which helps him focus. He uses military buzzwords sometimes, like near-peer adversaries and asymmetric national defense advantages, but not in an off-putting way. He says when he came to learn about the existence of these secret saucers, he was troubled and felt it was highly unethical for their existence to be kept from, pub uh, kept from the public, which I totally agree with. I mean, it is unethical to keep it from the public, the reality of the situation. Uh, he also says he has at times wondered whether he was being deceived. Was this some kind of ruse against me? Am I being used in any kind of way? No, he decided. In March 2023, Grush was introduced to Kane. And let me just stop here for a second. Later on, this guy goes, he has to do character assassination. And wait till you, you see what he tries to do to Leslie Kane. It's unbelievable. Uh, it was always sort of established that I was going to, me and my colleague Ralph were going to, break the story because of the track record that we had, Kane told me. I wanted it that way, but David wanted it that way too because he thought we had a lot of credibility. Grush showed Kane his security clearances and performance evaluations, and they talked for many hours online and in person. What he told her resembled what other sources had already described, though they couldn't go on the record because the information was classified. People I had known for a long time, she said, I could call them up and say, it is 
is credible that he say that he's saying that these crash objects exist or whatever and they would say yes we support what he says kane and blumenthal's piece about grush ended up at a ufo friendly website called the debrief which reports on knowledge on the periphery of human understanding okay let me just stop there for a second so the debrief is a ufo friendly website but i guess the intelligence there isn't because they have morons like you putting out articles like this Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Uh, anyway, they quoted Grush as saying that the government keepers of the spaceships know the machines are from non-human intelligent beings because of, quote, vehicle morphologies and material science testing and the possession of unique atomic arrangements and radiological signatures. Next came a packed hearing in Congress, which happened at the end of July before the Subcommittee on National Security, the Border and Foreign Affairs. The topic was unidentified anomalous phenomena and what threats they may pose. Representative Andy Ogles asked Grush whether these UAP resembled represented an existential threat to the national security of the United States, potentially, Grush answered. Representative Nancy Mace asked Grush whether there were bodies in the crashed craft. Biologics came with some of these recoveries, yeah, he said, nodding. Mace then asked, with possibly the tiniest hint of a smile, were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, Grush replied, his forehead furrowing as if he'd taken a bite of a huge sandwich. And that was the assessment of people with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. Now, let me just stop there for a second. Now, these people that he was talking to, a lot of these people have already uh, provided testimony behind the scenes in closed sessions and to the inspector generals uh, in the intelligence and Department of Defense and said that pretty much, uh, you know, verified that, yeah, what Grush is saying is true. Yeah, we worked on these programs. This stuff has been going on behind the scenes. I don't know if this uh, Nicholson here is aware of this. He should be. He's writing this article for the intelligence, for the stupider. Uh, anyway, continuing. Representative Tim Burchett thanked Grush and the other witnesses for their bravery. They took an oath to uphold the Constitution of the United States and dang gummit, they are doing it and we owe them a debt of gratitude. Sustained applause followed. After the hearing, Kane gave an interview on a news show called Rising. She reported that she had heard no disparaging or ridiculing remarks from the audience. The mood was sort of joyful. People were very excited. When members of Congress are seriously engaging with the idea of UFOs, quote, the stigma starts to fade away, she said. Yeah, I guess this guy wants the stigma to stay there because he don't like this idea. Uh, this, this upsets Nicholson Baker. Nicholson Baker's very upset and he doesn't like, he wants that stigma to stay there right where, it's, where it was all those years. Bring it back. Bring the stigma back because that's what they're doing right now and this guy's trying to help it along again. Anyway, continuing, what do you make of that claim there by Grush of the non-human biologics? 
the rising announcer asked. And uh, Kane responded saying, that is probably the most explosive statement that was made in the whole hearing in terms of trying to wrap your mind around something that hard to imagine. That there's actually biological material, if not bodies, of non-human beings in possession of the United States government. She said she had no way of knowing whether it was true, but added, I have talked to others who have told me that it is true. And then now he gets into Leslie Kane. This is the character assassination of Leslie Kane, uh, courtesy of uh, Nicholson Baker. Who is Leslie Kane? And why is she making such an effort to put a respectable face on what are, let's just say, quite wiggy-sounding assertions? In 2010, Kane published a book about UFO sightings that talked about the terrible stigma of being UFO curious and about how, when she first got interested in the subject, she felt shame as if she were t- taking an illegal drug and didn't tell anyone. Let me just say something. That's true. A lot of people have felt this over the years. A lot of people who were interested in the subject or a lot of people who had experiences with UFOs and or the extraterrestrials that pilot them. That's how they feel. And this guy wants them to continue to feel. He wants them to go back to that. That's what he's trying to do here. Nicholson Baker's trying to, let's take him back. Let's start that stigma all over again. Anyway, continuing. Uh, Where was I? But then after a while, she was okay with it and gained confidence. The book, UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record, was a bestseller. She then began work on a book about the afterlife called Surviving Death, in which she recounted how she went to a psychic who described her to herself with amazing accuracy, though maybe it was because she had given the psychic her phone number and the psychic used the reverse phone search and found some things out, but she, Kane, thought that was unlikely. Let me just stop there for a second. I don't believe in psychics for the most part. I actually agree with uh, Baker on this point. I'm a big skeptic when it comes to that stuff. Uh, Continuing here. Um... Kane thought that was unlikely. The psychic told her that she could feel the energy and presence of Kane's departed partner, whose name began with a B, and yes, it was a B. It was her departed partner, Bud, the famous Bud Hopkins, who had died a few years earlier and who before that was a very successful UFO writer and speaker, though he never got his byline on the front page of the New York Times, unlike Kane. Hopkins used to put... Now now he's not. He's going to make drag Hopkins down into the mud here, make Hopkins look like he's a crackpot. Uh, So in order to make Kane look like she's stupid too. Hopkins used to put people into hypnotic states and interview them in order to tease out from their trance minds all the unpleasant things space space aliens had done when they drawn them into the saucers. He toured the country giving talks on alien abductions at UFO conferences and he appeared on a very good Nova episode on PBS in 1997 kidnapped by UFOs in which one of his informants said space aliens had harvested his sperm and a woman said she had been probed in her ears and her nose and another place too and then something came out of her and she looked down and it was an alien baby okay let me just stop there so now uh, what he's he's saying he's using the term space aliens because as you know, debunkers like to use that rather than just extraterrestrial or aliens they like to say space aliens because it makes it sound goofy they're trying to uh, create that stigma that's what uh, Mr. Dumbbell Baker's doing here while uh, all these people were doing their work in, on UFOs he was outlining his, his his porno novels and sitting on his duff not even thinking about this subject and now all these decades later he finally decided to sit down and write some garbage like this anyway continuing it says over the years hopkins showed his dubious methods of hypnotic suggestion to others including david m jacobs a history professor who wrote the threat 
and John Mack, who wrote Abduction, Human Encounters with Aliens, and they thanked him in their books. Uh, we're going to skip forward a little bit, but again, he's, he's trying to discredit all these people who actually did real research. Again, uh, presumably while um, Nickerson Baker was sitting on his duff outlining his porn books, uh, and these people were out there actually doing real research and interviewing people and setting up these hypnotic sessions and doing uh, and trying to get to the bottom of the UFO slash extraterrestrial mystery. And this guy, again, was not doing it. Now he's going to slap them uh, by because he's sitting in his armchair. Well, because he doesn't do any real research. All he does is sit there in his armchair and come up with stuff like this. And that's what he's doing here. Uh, <clears throat> continuing here, it says Hopkins coached children into believing they had met aliens. Jacob suggested to Emma Woods, one of his alleged alien abductees, that she buy and wear a chastity belt to block space creatures intent on breeding hybrid babies. They can't take it off, Jacobs told Woods. It got a little lock and key, and right where the vaginal opening is, it's got a couple of nails sticking across. It's a dead stopper, no doubt about it. Of course, let me just stop there. Uh, there's been a lot of alien abduction stories uh, over the years, and, and that's what it seems like is going on, is that their aliens are u- using human beings to create a hybrid race of creatures that are half human, half alien, for purposes unknown, and that some of them are among us right now. See, to this guy here, that sounds too fantastic. He doesn't even want to think about that. It's too scary for him. It's too crazy for him. It's too much for him. It's too much for any debunkers. Debunkers are losing their minds right now. And look at they're trying. He's trying to stigmatize this whole thing again by only pointing out certain aspects of the alien abduction phenomena, trying to make it sound silly and ridiculous. He's not getting into the whole thing. You need to read the entire book of the threat or or missing time by Bud Hopkins or the threat by David Jacobs to get the full picture higher. But he's he's taking out certain aspects of it and just trying to focus on there. Just like I deliberately earlier, I pointed out that the guy wrote novels. Now he wrote ten novels apparently, according to Wikipedia. I pointed out that he that three of them. Uh, uh, were pornographic ones. I, I focused on those because I want to make him look bad in your eyes. The same way that the Wikipedia gorilla skeptics, right, are trying to make people like Lou Elizondo look bad in people's eyes. They're, that's what they do. They only they, they they pull out certain information. That's what I'm doing now, and I'm admitting it. I'm doing it on purpose. This guy's was outlining his porno books, right? Think about it. He's outlining his porno books, sitting on his duff, while these guys are out there doing real research. And now he has the audacity to, to, to question it all. They actually did the research. Anyway, let's continue here. It says, and then one day, somewhere around 2004, Hopkins was giving a talk about aliens at a UFO conference when, as he tells it in his autobiography, a trim, attractive, petite woman with a mass of short, curly, dark blonde hair and beautiful, steady blue eyes came up to him and said she was interested in one of his abduction stories, the one in which a woman named Linda floated out a window in New York City and was pulled into a bright red UFO. The attractive petite woman was Leslie Kane. They struck up a friendship, became partners, and there you go. Meanwhile, Hopkins divorced his third wife, who had by then begun to doubt his methods. She wrote a devastating article about him in a UFO magazine called Paratopia, and he dedicated his memoir to Leslie Kane, a son whose rays have warmed my life and renewed my hopes. Kane in her UFO book said, quote, a special thanks goes to my close friend Bud Hopkins for providing daily steady support as I dealt with the myriad personal and professional challenges inherent, inherent in producing this book. So basically, you see what uh, Nichol, uh, Nicholson's doing here. He's trying to set it up to make Kane look like, he's, he's trying to discredit her. He's, he's trying to assassinate her character in this article. 
And you're going to probably see a lot more of this. I don't know if this moron was contacted by somebody and asked to do this or if this, if he just decided to do it on himself and just be a useful idiot. We don't know. And we probably never will know. Uh, I would have to say this probably, this guy's probably just a useful idiot and decided because he, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like the idea of the extraterrestrial reality. It's real. I'm sorry to tell you, Nicholson. It's real. It's real. Nickerson. Nickerson. I'm sorry, Nicholson. Yeah, it's real though. It is. Nicholson, actually, I'm sorry. Nicholson, Nickerson, Nicholson, what is your name? Wait, what the hell? Seriously. I mean, what, why? Why? What's wrong with Jim or James, like me? Like, what's wrong with that? Or Robert or David? Why Nicholson? Why, why that? Nicholson. I mean, what the hell? Seriously. Writing porn books. Ooh. Anyway, after surviving death... Kane continued her UFO advocacy work with the assistance of Christopher Mellon, a wealthy defense and intelligence insider. Mellon set up a meeting for Kane with Hal Putoff, a mage of remote viewing and other ultra telepathic experimentation, and Godard, a counterintelligence officer, Luis Elizondo, who just quit his Pentagon job and was now part of an entertainment company Putoff had set up with pop punk singer songwriter Tom DeLong. DeLong is famous for the catchy guitar heavy songs he recorded with Blink 182. Uh, sitting in the lobby bar of a hotel near the Pentagon, Putoff opened a laptop and played Kane some Navy UFO videos in which blips of light cavort on a cockpit screen. I was completely floored, she told me. Seeing actual military videos of UFOs changed everything. Kane's 2017 Times article included two of the clips she watched at the meeting, and everyone who read it clicked on them and went, Holy crackers! Especially after the video called Gimbal, in which a dark, in which a black shape that resembles a flying saucer turns this way and that. Suddenly, everyone was saying to themselves, "That thing is very eerie and otherworldly. Look at the glowing aura. Maybe we are being visited by flying saucers." The Navy pilot sure thinks so. Sixty Minutes did a piece on the videos and interviewed the pilots. Some viewers are not convinced. Of course, Mick West. Let's bring Mick West in here, the video game programmer who quit his job to do this. He says he retired. I don't think he did. I think he quit his job. That's just my opinion. It doesn't make me right. I think he quit and did, decided it was more lucrative to do this job. That's what I think. I, I, whatever he says, I think he's lying. How about that? Mick West, who runs a website called Meta Junk, excuse me, Meta Bunk, explained on YouTube that the gimbal video shows the heat of the heat image of a jet from behind, and the aura is an artifact of image sharpening. Now that's that's a lie. That's not true. Mick West made that all up whole cloth, and he convinced a whole bunch of morons on Twitter that it, that what he was saying was true. But he was just using some technological mumbo jumbo, and he's convinced them that gimbal's really nothing. Don't look there. It's not nothing. It's not anything. Even though you see it with your flying saucer with your own eyes, that's what it is. The antics of the saucer-shaped craft he demonstrated, which seemed effortless, purpose-like, uh, porpoise-like, are the result of the laggy way the external camera mount adjusted itself when tracking an object. It was clear that this really wasn't a film of a flying saucer at all. Clear, according to Nicholson Baker. Clear. It was so clear it's no flying saucer. See that flying saucer? That's not a flying saucer. It's clear. It's clear. Mick West made it clear. And that Mick West should get some kind of Edward Murrow Award for even toned analysis. <laughs> wow. Oh, oh, my God. Edward, Mur They're going to give Mick West Mur Edward Murrow Awards now for saying that a flying saucer that you could see with your own eyes is, isn't a flying saucer. He should get the Edward Murrow Award. 
If Mick were really interested in this stu- in this stuff, Kane told the New Yorker, he wouldn't debunk every single video. She, yeah, he, he really was interested in it. He, but see, he is interested in it because he doesn't want it to be true. And plus, this is obviously he's not going to do this for nothing. Now he's not. This is something for his ego. This is something for he's probably making money off it too. I, I don't care if what he says. I think he is. Uh, anyway. She and Blumenthal wrote more UFO pieces for the Times, republishing the gimbal video as if it still meant something when it almost certainly means nothing at all. So this guy's writing away the gimbal based on what Mick West said. And there was multiple other people that have done analysis of the gimbal and showed that what Mick West is saying is just not true. Anyway, continuing. This guy doesn't know that, though, obviously. He's, he's only... He's focused himself on whatever the debunkers, fellow debunkers tell him so he could write his piece here and make, have, have it try to make sense. But as we go through this, you're going to realize that it makes even less sense as it goes, as it goes on. Uh, continuing, it says, this has all happened before. Hmm. Really? It's the latest instance of what Marina Corinne, a science writer for The Atlantic, calls the, quote, UFO mania cycle. Before Grush, there were military men like Robert Solis, who published a book a decade ago in which he said that one night in the 1960s, a space alien floated him out of his bedroom window and inserted a needle into his groin. Okay, let me just stop there. Okay, Robert Solis, he's talking about the guy who was at the uh, at the uh, Montana mi- nuclear missile base back in the 60s, who saw, doesn't say anything about that, who said that UFO showed up, him and other witnesses, a UFO showed up, was hovering over the base in Montana, shut down all the, all the disarmed all the nuclear weapons, all the nuclear missiles uh, f- for a period of time and then turned them all back on again. That, that, he didn't mention that part. Anyway, continuing. And before Solace, there was Colonel Philip Corso, a retired Pentagon insider who in 1997 published a memoir, The Day After Roswell, in which he claimed that in July 1947, he had opened a small shipping crate in a veterinary building in Fort Riley, Kansas, and found a dead space alien inside, submerged in a viscous blue liquid. It was four-foot shaped human, uh, it was a four-foot human-shaped figure, Corso wrote, with arms, bizarre-looking, four-fingered hands. I didn't see a thumb thin thin legs and feet and an oversized incandescent light bulb shaped head that looked like it was floating over a balloon gondola with a chin in the 1950s corso was an intelligence operative and a counter propagandist in washington and later he became began working for president eisenhower's national security council the u.s was fighting a two-front war corso corso wrote against communists on the one hand and space creatures on the other earth he said was under some form of probing attack by one or more alien cultures who were testing both our ability and resolve to defend ourselves. Let me just stop there for a second. I'm not a big proponent of Philip Corso. He came out, he was, it was like a flash in the pan. I'm not sure if, if the stuff he was saying was true or not. But there were other people, other witnesses to Roswell, who, who I do believe for, for sure. And we'll get into that later because he gets into it. Anyway, it goes on. It says, the flights of Eisenhower's U-2 spy plane over Soviet Russia had an undisclosed secondary purpose, Corso believed. Not only did they identify missile sites and bombing targets, they also carried on the search for extraterrestrial crash sites behind enemy lines. We also wanted to see whether the Soviets were harvesting any of the alien aircraft technology for themselves. In 1961, Corso was put in charge of the foreign technology desk at the Pentagon, where, so he said, he was asked to exploit the secret Roswell files and alien remains, including autopsy reports and crash debris. 
Curso said his team farmed out various reverse-engineered extraterrestrial innovations to American industry, including tech for lasers, integrated circuits, fiber optics, stealth planes, and night vision goggles. Also, Kevlar, which was, according to Corso, inspired by the cross-stitched super-tenacity fibers on the surface of the down saucer. The seeds for the development of all of them were found in the crash of the alien craft at Roswell, he wrote. Yeah, I just want to point out again, I'm not sure, I don't know what to think as someone who is interested in this subject and has studied it for a long time. I don't know what to think about Corso after all these years. And so this, but again, he's, I think he's focusing on it because it sounds so, it's, it's, he's pointing out the absurd aspects of, of, of UFOs, trying to distinct, he wants the stigma to these debunkers. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to reinstigate the stigma. Uh, anyway, moving forward here. We're going to skip a little bit. It says, I never, he, here's what uh, uh, Nick uh, Nicholson's saying. He says, I never got into UFOs. I loved science fiction as a kid, enjoyed bug-like space monsters as much as the next person. And in 1967, I read Bill Adler's book, Letters to the Air Force on UFOs with fascination and delight. But the actual documentary evidence on offer has always seemed poor. Really? Really? Did you, I don't think you read the right books. You need to read the right books. And the abduction stories, which reached a peak in the late 80s, were just nuts. Not until recently, though, when I worked on a book about secret Cold War weapons research, did I begin to understand how the saucer madness got started. Saucer madness. He's calling it saucer madness. And it started because a whole bunch of people misidentified balloons, according to this nut job. Okay, here's what he says. It says, on June 24th, 1947, Kenneth Arnold, a salesman of fire control equipment, was startled by a flash of blue light while flying from Chalet, Washington to Yakima, Washington in a single-engine airplane. He looked to his left and saw a chain of very peculiar-looking objects that were rapidly approaching Mount Rainier at about 107 degrees. The objects were shiny, and they dipped and rose and flashed as they flew, Arnold said, like a fish flipping in the sun. When the light reflected off them, they seemed completely round. I assumed at the time that they were a new formation or a new type of jet, he said, so I was baffled by the fact that they did not have any tails. Now, I noticed here, he doesn't say anything about the speed of those objects. He says that they were, because if you read about Kenneth Arnold, those objects that he saw were flying, and Arnold was an experienced pilot. I don't know if Nicholson's aware of this, right? I'm not sure if he's, a, but he said that they were traveling at 1,700 miles per hour. 1,700 miles per hour. Keep that in mind. Uh, continuing. Over the next several days, talking first with aviation pals and then with increasingly eager reporters, Arnold made a number of attempts to help people visualize what he had seen. He said the nine objects moved like geese flying in a line. They seemed to be fastened together, he said. If one dipped, the others did too. Uh, their flight was like speedboats on rough water or similar to the tail of a Chinese kite that I once saw blowing in the wind. At one point among these analogies, Arnold ventured to say that the objects moved in a saucer-like manner, as if you took a saucer and threw it across the water. The vocabulary solidified and took hold in all over the country, but especially in the Pacific Northwest, people started reporting flying saucers and flying discs. Arnold suspected he had seen some kind of brand new military flying machine, but the government wouldn't confirm that. On the radio, Arnold said, naturally, being a natural-born American, if it's not made by our science or our Army Air Forces, I'm inclined to believe it's an it's of extraterrestrial origin. He was disappointed that the military offered no explanation, but he was assured to, reassured to learn that other observers said they had seen the same thing. 
On the same day Arnold saw saucers, a prospector in the Cascades, Fred Johnson looked up to see five or six disks about a thousand feet above him. He estimated they were 30 feet in diameter. They were silent and they made his compass needle wiggle wildly, he said. And there was other reports. I'm not. I'm going to skip through some of the story, and we're going to get to the uh, crux of it. He's there later on. He says something unusual going was going on. That's clear. And the reports had elements in common: roundish, wobbly objects, shiny, grouped together, connected, tethered. What were these people looking at? I'm going to have to say it, and I'm sorry because I know UFO people roll their eyes at the word balloons. I'm not rolling my eyes at, at, at the word balloons. I'm just, it's, that's what, exactly what I expected. I was, I was reading through this dumb piece, this uh, half-assed piece that you put together. That's, that's what I, I didn't roll my eyes at it. I just, I expected it already. I knew that's where you're heading with it. Continuing, he says, but they need to get over it because balloons of various kinds, high altitude weather balloons, cosmic ray research balloons, sound detecting balloons, thunderstorm study balloons, aerial reconnaissance balloons, raccoons that shoot missiles, propaganda balloons, toy balloons, and most secret crop warf warf warfare balloons are at the heart of this high altitude adventure we've been on as a culture. None of it is paranormal, but it's still strange. So this guy sitting on his duff while he's outlining all his porn books came up with this balloon story. Now, you noticed he didn't have in the speed of the, so of the craft that uh, Arnold saw. Again, it was 1,700 miles an hour. Now, he's saying that it's all balloons. That's All these people were seeing balloons, even though these objects are flying faster than any aircraft we had at the time in 1947. When people start seeing these things, they were flying at incredible speeds, faster than anything that we had, that, that human had, human race had created yet. He didn't say the 17, didn't mention that 1,700 miles per hour because that would tear apart his whole story. The reason he doesn't say it is because balloons, they're going to travel 8 to 10 miles per hour in, in, in the sky. I looked it up. Anyway, let's continue with this piece of trash. Uh, it began after the Second World War when Soviet scientists dropped hints that they were on the verge of world-changing discoveries in the stratosphere that had to do with the untapped power of cosmic rays. A team led by Artem Alakanian had been working at a new high-altitude research laboratory near Mount Aragats in Soviet Armenia, and they'd been sending up research balloons to fish for new cosmic particles, one of which, the Varitron, was heavier than all others. In May 1946, Piotr Kapitsa, Physicist and founder of the Institute for Physical Problems in Moscow told startled reporters that bombs that harnessed the power of the new particles could cause devastation several times greater than that of the atomic bomb that wiped out Hiroshima, Japan. Gossip columnist Walter Winchell wrote about the threat in September 1946. Reason Russians so cocky lately is they allegedly have cosmic ray bombs. So we're going to get, this is, oh God, he's trying to rewrite history. The U.S. government quickly stepped up funding for cosmic ray research, hoping to learn more about whatever the Russian might, Russians might have found. Uh, we're going to skip forward here a little bit. bit, bit, bit. He's talking about balloons again. The Varitron was eventually determined not to exist. At New York University, there was a physicist and balloon wrangler named Sergei Korf who went all over the country helping scientists rig up enormous balloon trains, free-floating chains of weather balloons hundreds of feet long, in order to carry heavier payloads higher 
They were composed of 10, 15, 20, and even 30 large neoprene weather balloons. The problem was that sometimes the balloon trains longer than football fields when airborne went missing, and they were disturbing looking. Out of scale, silent and spectral, especially after dark when they glowed, still sunlight in the stratospheric sky. These apparitions distressed countless people. New Jersey residents who saw 28 flying saucers linked together in a block-long aerial snake dance today were reassured by Princeton scientists that it was merely a cosmic ray experiment, said the Camden Courier Post in July 1947. The scientists said they hoped someone would see the balloon chain descend so they could recover their cosmic ray equipment. Okay, let me just stop here for a second. Of course, there's been UFO sightings over the decades where people have mistook balloons in the sky for aliens from outer space. Of course that's happened. Everybody knows this. This is nothing new, but this guy here, Nicholson, Nicholson is blaming all of this stuff on, on balloons. All of it! Now, that means that that thing that I saw in 1994 when I was fishing with my buddy Scott, we were fishing in this place uh, in, near Hazleton, Pennsylvania called Beach Mountain Lakes. We were fishing there on this pond that was off the lake in the middle of nowhere. This thing came flying over to us. Right? I talked about this. No sound whatsoever. It was as big as a house. It came within 20 feet of where we, we where, where I was. He, my buddy was standing right under the edge of it, shining a flashlight on the, on its belly. It had three giant, like, super large spot-like headlights, they looked like, except they were like this big, right, on the front of this thing. It made absolutely no sound. It was only two and a half stories off the ground. Was that a, and, and, and it moved in ways that it was unimaginable. There's no craft that humans make that could move like this, especially move that close to treetops and stuff. So I guess what this guy's saying, that was a balloon! On top of the surge of cosmic ray research, the Air Force, early in 1947, funded a related program at NYU, the Constant Altitude Balloon Project, codenamed Mogul, here we go, Mogul, which aimed to listen for a nuclear, a nuclear explosion in the USSR so that American strategizers would know right away when the Soviets had the atomic bomb. A young researcher, Charles B. Moore, launched a number of Mogul flights using a train of neoprene balloons to lift a low-frequency microphone high into the upper atmosphere after some preliminary experiments on the East Coast, he and his team soon relocated to Holloman Air Force Base at Alamogordo, New Mexico. To the northeast, not far from Roswell, something crashed on a sheep ranch in June 1947. W.W. Mac Brazel, who found the wreckage, didn't know what it was. And here's a quote. This was from the Associated Press. And this was after uh, four or five days that Brazel was kept in custody by the army and then brought, marched, escorted by military officials to a radio station where he made these comments. He described his find as consisting of uh, large numbers of pieces of paper covered with a foil-like substance and pieced together with small sticks, reported the Associated Press. Scattered with the materials over an area about 200 yards across were pieces of gray rubber. For his part, Brazel recalled, at first I thought it was a kite, but we couldn't put it together like any kite I ever saw. What Brazel didn't know, because it was a secret, was that he found one of Moore's Project Mogul balloon trains. That is a lie. That's a lie. This guy's pulling it out of his ass. The pieces of gray rubber were fragments of neoprene balloons that had darkened and hardened in the sun. The item that looked like a kite was a foil-covered radar reflector of a somewhat unusual type. It was faceted so it could work 
in, would work in all directions and it looked shiny and a bit star-like. It allowed the balloon launchers to track their experiment to a degree. It was made of balsa wood. And bra after Brazel gathered up some of the sun-baked neoprene scraps and the balsa sticks and the foil and paper covering, he went into town to see the sheriff, which got in touch with someone at the Roswell Air Base. Three intelligence officers visited the crash site and one of them, Jesse Marcel, told a reporter that debris was from a flying saucer. In the 70s, Marcel became a UFO celebrity. The records of Project Mogul weren't made public until the 90s, so there was plenty of time for a lush Roswellian mythology to germinate and ripen. So, let's get into this. Okay. So now he's saying that, okay, now Jesse Marcel, he was the top intelligence officer at Roswell back in uh, uh, 1947. And Marcel reported at the time that he didn't, well, actually, he didn't say anything at the time. He just was the person who went out and collected this stuff, and he then he uh, flew it to higher headquarters, And uh, but it was loaned first to Major Roger Ramey in, uh, at Fort Worth in Texas, right? And that's what Marcel was told, just be quiet, I'll answer all the questions, and Marcel never said anything to anybody in 1947 uh, on the record about this material that he found at that ranch. It wasn't until years later that he said that the, the stuff could not have been of this earth. He said some of the material was as thin as the uh, aluminum in a pack of cigarettes and you couldn't bend it you couldn't break it you couldn't burn it you couldn't cut it you could they, they they took a sledgehammer and they couldn't put a dent in it well that's not that doesn't sound like neoprene balloon material and it was beyond beyond that there's the the, the communications officer who was a uh, walter hout who initially said said uh who was ordered to put out the press release that the the united states had captured a flying saucer he signed an affidavit several years before he died stating that he actually saw the records himself and he also saw some of the bodies but anyway let's look at marcel this is from witness to roswell by uh, donald schmidt and thomas carey on page 80 it says major jesse marcel in charge of army air forces security and intelligence briefings at Qualagene base in the Pacific command center for operation crossroads, which was, which test fired two atomic bombs. Major Marcel was a recipient of three commendations, including one from general Roger Ramey. Uh, major Marcel was the head intelligence officer, a two of a select squadron of people in charge of the atomic bomb back in 1947. He remained the head of intelligence at Roswell for another year after the incident and was then promoted to Lieutenant Colonel in the air force reserve with recommendations from both, uh, his superiors. Uh, major Marcel was, uh, then transferred to Washington, D.C., where he was made the chief of foreign technology division. Major Marcel, who at the Pentagon's assist, uh, uh, insistence was assigned to the top secret weapons project. And Marcel was also a scapegoat when the United States Army would have us believe was so he, he was so incompetent that he couldn't identify the rubber, wooden sticks, foil, tape and string that comprised a very common weather device there's not much difference between a weather balloon and and the mogul balloon there's no difference in it whatsoever really except for the little radio device on it and there's no way someone of marcel's intelligence and background could have made that mistake and he said so he said so but see this guy doesn't take any of this stuff into account this moron who wrote this uh, and as far as Brazel is concerned, I, I guess he doesn't realize that Mac Brazel was the ranch foreman at a ranch. It was a ranch outside about uh, 75 miles uh, northwest of Roswell, where on this ranch, 
uh, he was working the ranch. He was a supervisor there. It was a foster, called the Foster Ranch. He was working it, and he found all this debris on there. This guy had found balloons there before, and he didn't think one thing about them. But that the, the debris that he found over this scattered over this area was apparently from a flying saucer that had exploded over that ranch and then came crashing down about 45 miles, 40 miles north of Roswell in a different spot where that's where the bodies were. But Brazel didn't. He he. he where the stuff that he was looking at was the material from when this thing apparently had at first exploded. Uh, but it says here, uh, Mac Brazel, the ranch foreman who first discovered the debris field, was ab abducted and detained by the United States Army Air Forces for four or five days while cleanup operations continued at the site. Brazel was denied access to a phone, was given an Army physical, and was subjected to rigorous questioning and intimidation while under arrest at, uh, at the Roswell Airfield. So, again, this is what we're dealing with. And here's another thing. I just want to point out here. Arthur, Arthur Exxon, he was a general, actually, who was in charge at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for a while. Uh, it says here, Brigadier, and this is from the same book here, Brigadier General Arthur Exxon described to us what happened after, the, uh, after this incident happened. He says, uh, uh, well, this is the, I'm, I'm going to check a different book here. This is from, actually, this is from Roswell, The Ultimate Cold Case Closed, also by Kerry and Schmidt. And it says here, according to Air Force General Arthur Exxon, who was a young officer in school at Wright Field in July 1947 when the Roswell wreckage came in and later became the commanding officer of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in the mid-1960s, this is a direct quote from him. He says, everyone from President Truman on down knew what we had found was not of this world within 24 hours of our finding it. They knew that they had something new in their hands. The metal and material were unknown. A couple of guys thought it might be Russian, but the overall consensus was that the pieces of wreckage were from space. Now, why would a former general at White Patterson Air Force Field Base say something like that? Why, why would that happen? Does uh, Nicholson know about this? He needs to do some more research before he starts putting out articles in the Intelligencer and transforming that publication into the stupider. Oh my God. Oh. You have to see this article for yourself to, to fully appreciate the stupidity of it. I mean, it really is. Uh, everything's balloons, 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 balloons. He's talking about all the different kinds of balloons here. Uh, and then the U-2 plane that got people, people confused U-2, the U-2 spy plane for flying saucers. Again, this is all bogus. What about all the, the times where people saw these things landed on the ground and there was little beings walking around? How come he's not talking about that? I guess all of these people were having hallucinations or they're all just making a hoax, contacting, uh, the local authorities to tell them about it just because they felt like it, they felt like playing a trick. Every, all thousands, tens of thousands of reports from across the world over all this, this period of time we're talking about. Again, this guy's just, again, he's pointing out stuff here. He's not, he, it's, it's half-assed research for one thing. He's not presenting both sides of, of, of the argument. And, and he's making some stuff up. I mean, he just, a blanket statement saying that it's all balloons. Everything that everyone's seen over all these decades is balloons. He's trying to re-stigmatize it again. 
Uh, this, the need for bodies produced sad hoaxes, too. On July 8, 1953, a young barber, Edward Walters, told reporters that he and two friends had been out honky-tonking near Atlanta when they saw some small figures running like men toward a spaceship parked on the top of a hill. Waters says he hit the brakes on the car, but not soon enough. He had killed a man from outer space, he announced. He took the body home and put it in his refrigerator, planning to display it at his barber shop. A reporter from the Palm Beach Post wrote up the story, doubtfully, an expert were called in. Dr. Herman Jones reported that an autopsy disclosed the creature to be a monkey from which the hair had been removed by a hair remover and the tail amputated after death. Waters then admitted he had killed the monkey with a blow to the back of the head. Back of the head. It was a rhesus monkey. Waters was fined $40 for placing a carcass on the highway. So now this is where he gets into uh, he starts coming up with this new theory that all the dead alien body reports could be attributed to dead monkeys, mutilated monkeys. That's where he's going with this. And he talks about Betty and Barney Hill here. He says, uh, Betty and Barney Hill claimed that they had unpleasant alien experience in 1961 and later under guided hypnosis, Betty described her sojourn in the spaceship where her dress was removed and a needle was inserted into her belly button. Barney said that the alien crew who wore glossy leather uniforms and were about five feet tall harvested, harvested his sperm and poked a cylindrical object into his bottom. In a web essay, Aliens and Alien Probes, UFO skeptic, excuse me, UFO debunker Jason Colavito persuasively argues, that's what it should have been, not skeptic, persuasively, he says persuasively, argues that Barney was half-remembering imagery he had seen in several Outer Limits episodes broadcast shortly before the hypnosis sessions. So basically, all of it was a dream, and, he, and it was stuff he watched, saw on TV, Barney Hill did. Now, this is something that debunkers don't like to talk about, but I'm going to bring it up so, so, so they're aware. But the Betty and Barney Hill incident, they actually consciously remembered the flying saucer that was hovering in front of their vehicle as they were traveling uh, on, in the middle of the night back in 1961. They, they actually consciously remembered. In fact, it got really close to their car and it scared them. And, and Barney pulled off the side of the road, grabbed his binoculars, looked up, and he consciously remembered this. You know, this, was, this wasn't something that, he, that was brought in, that, that hypnosis was required to extract from his memory. No, he remembered this from the, from the get-go. He saw the beings in the craft looking down at him, pointing, and he got scared thinking that they're going to get us. They're, they're going to uh, kidnap us. So he got back in the car and they tried to take off, and that's when they heard a beeping sound, and that's when... They lost their time. That's when they, they experienced missing time. And then later on, they heard the beeping sound again, and they were driving on the road. And they, when they got home, they realized that they were missing about two hours of time. Anyway, continuing. A whole fan fiction universe of crash sites and bodies and medical procedures soon emerged. Garbled anecdotes and partially recovered memories hypnotically retrieved were limping around like B-movie monsters mutating and merging in the night museums of confabulation. This is confabulation. This guy here is confabulated this whole... He constructed this phony reality for himself and for readers. He doesn't like it. He doesn't like this reality. But I'm sorry to tell you, buddy, it's real, man. I saw one of these beings with my own eyes. I know it's real. And you don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, the objection to the balloon explanation of Roswell soon became, what about the alien bodies? If you can't account for the bodies that kept, com kept coming up in eyewitness accounts of the crash sites at Roswell, said many UFO believers, you have nothing. Recently, I got to thinking about the hoax in Georgia. W were experiments performed, I was curious to know, on monkeys or chimps at Holloman Air Force Base in New Mexico? Turns out the answer is yes, they're war. 
There was a whole colony of experimental chips at Holloman. Monkeys went up in balloons and in V2 rockets. Many of them died. Chimpanzees were strapped into a rocket sled and abruptly decelerated. They were spun, tumbled, ejected from their seats, subjected to wind blast, and slingshotted in the bopper. They died. They were autopsies, or they or they were autopsied, and or they lived but suffered injuries and were sacrificed and autopsied. In August 1958, the Air Force announced that a chimpanzee had survived a wind blast test at a speed of 1,400 miles an hour. It was the fourth chimp it had used in this extreme set of tests. The other three died afterward because the suits they wore flew, uh, blew apart, wrote the project's head researcher. This one, however, survived because it wore a suit of Dacron sailcloth. The 8P article said the chimp was anesthetized. Is Dacron sailcloth the super advanced tight-fitting mesh that some witnesses claimed the aliens wore? So here we go. So now all the reports of dead alien bodies, according to this moron, is actually mutilated monkeys that were uh, launched in balloons or V2 rockets and then came crashing down and people saw dead, uh, mutilated, burned up monkeys and mistook them for alien creatures. That's what this guy's suggesting. That's what he's suggesting. I want you to think about that for a minute. Okay, maybe not a full minute, but just think about that. They're trying to re-stigmatize this whole thing again. That's what they're trying to do. And this guy, whether he's part of something or he's just a useful idiot for them, and he doesn't—he's just a debunker. Doesn't like this at all. Maybe he's connected with the the uh, that uh, debunker group. It says he writes for Wikipedia, does editing on Wikipedia, so. Maybe he is. Maybe he's part of the guerrilla skeptics. But this is their 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 big push. They want to get this. They want to uh, they want to be back to where they used to be, where this this whole thing was nonsense, right? That they want they want to make it back to where where, where people consider it uh, a pseudoscience, which really it shouldn't be. How 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 could it, how could this whole phenomenon be considered pseudoscience when you really think about it? Again, let's just talk about what happened in, in the podcast I did yesterday. All those reports I was going through. Of all these people, of the physical trace cases that uh, Ted Phillips had uh, compiled, oh, over 800 cases, uh, that was only up to 1975. It continues today. I mean, MUFON does this kind of work today. Uh, so what about that? That's not pseudoscience. I mean, there's evidence that they leave behind. What about the Turkey UFO videos where experts from multiple countries looked at that video that was filmed uh, by this Turkish fisherman over the Sea of Marmara back in 2007, 2008, 2009. You could see the craft, flying saucer, UFO, whatever, shape, the, the classic shape how, hovering out over the sea at night. And in some of the uh, imagery, we see actual alien beings, the same kind as described by many people who's claimed to have been abducted for decades. That's evidence. I mean, those there were experts that thought video experts scientists that thought it was a hoax and then after they looked at it they said no it's 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 real this was not hoax that's truly anomalous does, does this guy know about that i know the mainstream media they don't like to talk about that one they never put that on tv they never talk about it but, but you had all these experts from three different countries saying it was it was it was real it wasn't a hoax it's truly something anomalous you could actually see the alien beings inside the craft does this guy know of that he should be scared let me tell you something I got I got a message for the debunkers out there. You should be scared. You really should be. And I'm sorry to tell you this, but it is real. There's creatures from other worlds that are here, coming here, and I don't know how many are here, how many different kinds are here, but they're here. I know this for a fact. One of them came when I was a kid, and this 
the only time memory I ever have of this ever happening. It was one time in 1977. I woke up in the middle of the night and there was a little creature standing right beside my bed. It only had three digits on its hand. Three digits, they were thick at the point, thick at the bottom, they almost came to points at the tips. And it was moving its hand over my head, up and down, up and down, and it was a loud, over whelming electronic buzzing sound the humming sound the whole time this whole experience lasted 20 minutes i screamed for my brother uh, across the on, on the other side of the room he 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 wouldn't wake up i was screaming for my mom and dad they weren't waking up i said every prayer i knew right nothing happened the thing was still there i don't know what was going on i thought it was the devil uh, i i thought it was a demon but it was real. It really, it came into the room and it, I don't know what happened because I was, as I was praying and I was scared out of my mind, the next thing you know, I just, somehow I passed out. And then the next day I wake up and I was like looking around the room and it's, it, there was nothing there, but it wasn't a dream. It was actually real. There was something in the room. And then of course, years later, like I stated earlier, 1994, I saw a craft with another witness during a fishing trip. It's real. There, there's creatures here. I, I, I know it's hard for you to believe, right? You don't want to believe it, but guess what? You have to believe it because it's real. It's real. You're fooling yourself and you're trying to fool everybody else. You sound stupid and silly to people like me because I know for a fact you're wrong. I know it. I'm holding a royal flush in my hands right now. If this was a game of poker, that's what I got. And you got nothing. You got eight high. You're going to lose. You're going to lose. You got to wake up and stop this. Stop it. You're acting like a bunch of babies. Anyway, continuing with this piece of garbage. Sitting behind Grush at the congressional hearings in July, flanking him, were two striking men, Jeremy Corbell and George Knapp. Uh, it says Knapp is a journalist and movie producer from Las Vegas with a musing jaw and a fine scoop of gray hair. Both of them are in the flying saucer promotion business. They've made movies together about past UFO whistleblowers. Corbell says at the beginning of one, I seek to weaponize your curiosity. Representative Burchette, who had pushed hard to have the UFO hearings held, offered a special greeting to my old my, my buddy Jeremy Corbell and another to Knapp. They are not witnesses, but they have provided some statements on the subjects, subject, and I seek unanimous consent to enter those statements into the record, Mr. Chairman. Let me just stop there for a second. You know, I thought that, you know, Corbell has, you know, he made some good documentaries. I, I really enjoyed, actually, I made a mistake yesterday. I called it Patient 19. It was actually page, Patient 17. And that was about the late Dr. Roger Lear removing alien implants from alien abductees and uh, scientists looking at them and determining that they were unearthly in nature. Uh, so he's done, his, he's done his homework. This guy has, you know, paid his dues and he's doing a good job. George Knapp. Uh, he's, you know, he's been talking about this, reporting on this since the 1980s. I mean, what are we going to try to make these guys look like monsters and idiots and, and dumbbells too now? Let's see. Knapp and Corbell are not witnesses. They're presences. They represent the cyclical, circular, profitable nature of American saucerism, which keeps returning to the same themes. Crash recovery, alien bodies, cover-up, Reverse engineering and abductions. Is Grush, Grush being used? Yes, I think so. Used by seasoned showmen like Knapp and Corbell who want to sell us dark stories of cattle mutilating antagonists who fly with impunity around our restricted airspace. Used by new wave UFO destigmatizers like Kane who want to normalize the notion that we have visitors from faraway stars. And used finally by professional weaponeers uh, and war planners who want more money to counter a shadowy but ever-present 
non-human threat. Extraterrestrials are the perfect enemy. They just keep coming, probing, harassing, and causing concern. And when you go after them, they wink away into another dimension. Okay, let me just stop here again. So again, he's, he's trying to make everybody in the UFO field look, look bad. Kane, Corbell, Knapp. Uh, doesn't like any of these people. Doesn't like the fact that they want to get to the bottom of this. They want the truth. That's what this is about. Uh, more than anything. More than anything is about getting to the truth. More than about making money than what this guy's talking about. I mean, this guy who make money selling porn books. Uh, I don't know who he is, who he thinks he is to talk. I mean, seriously. Uh, but it's that's what it is. It's just, this, this is nonsense. Late November, I reached Loeb, Harvard's avid alien spotter, and asked him what he thought about Grush's testimony. He wasn't impressed. My issue is that he did not witness the materials he was talking about, Loeb said. To me, that doesn't count as evidence. It's just hearing people tell him about something he didn't see himself. Loeb also doubts that there are any alien bodies in government custody or any any alien biologics, whatever they are. Biology cannot survive the journey across interstellar distances, he said. I would be very skeptical about biology. Well, uh, you know, let's just talk, stop here for a second. These beings are, they're, they're really good at what they're doing. I mean, they have the ability to basically run circles around any kind of technology that we have. I mean, jet fighters will tell, will tell you, uh, the pilots of jet fighters will tell you that these things r- run circles around them. There's nothing that we can do, Right. Uh, if they're 100,000 years more to, more advanced than we are, then they have it all figured out. They have it all. If they're coming here, they must be, uh, I don't know how many years more advanced they are than we are, but it has to be pretty pretty uh, high number, right? It would have to be. Um, we don't, we're not sure. We could say 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, whatever. Take your pick. It doesn't matter, right? They're more advanced than we are technologically. And so they have this all figured out. Uh, they know how to deal with us. They know how to handle us. Yeah. Uh, Loeb does, however, agree with Grush and other military folk that some reports of UFOs are probably real, and he has volunteered to help the Pentagon identify possible threats. He and his students have begun scanning the skies of Massachusetts around the clock with a network of advanced multispectral imaging systems to try to get good footage of any anomalies that may appear using artificial intelligence to weed out the drones and the birds and the satellites and the balloons. And he continues to hold on to the possibility that he and his collaborators might already have discovered evidence of a non-human space voyaging vehicle that came our way from outside the solar system only to burn up in our atmosphere. Uh, in a pre-print released in August 2023, he writes that five of the 57 tiny oceanic spherules that he collected and analyzed with their unique pattern of beryllium, lanthium, and uranium may reflect an extraterrestrial technological origin. He talks about Loeb a little bit further here, and then he says, Still, I find myself touched by the intensity of Loeb's yearning for evidence of extraterrestrial technological civilizations. It's fun to think about intelligent life evolving over billions of years on some of the millions of far-flung planets. Are space aliens, space aliens again, really an existential threat to the United States? Should the Pentagon and paranoid politicians be involved? Is there a hidden fleet of crashed spacecraft and jars of non-human remains? Probably not, but we've got the Crab Nebula, which is intimate and crowded with crowded and empty and gorgeous all at the same time. We don't need flying saucers to feel awe. Um, 
we're playing we're, we're, this guy uh, along with a lot of debunkers they're in denial they just they don't want to believe this they don't like the idea that there's something here that is more intelligent than humans and can do whatever they want to humans at any time that they want because they can they can do that they can show up in your house they can abduct you they can do whatever they want i know this for a fact uh it's time for these people are, are scared out of their gourds to put this kind of stuff out Obviously, they're scared out of their minds. They don't like this reality. They don't like all. They have no explanation for all these witnesses, except that the the only thing that they could do is say that they're all either liars, hoaxers, or they suffered from hallucinations, nonsense like that, or they were drunk. But that becomes impossible as you go through all the different reports from all from all the decades. It's just impossible. It's so impossible, and and. I, I, in a way, I feel bad. I, I, I do. I, I feel bad for this moron here who wrote this piece. Again, uh, all they could do is try to assassinate the character of people who are out there actually doing the work. While these people, again, what was he doing when Bud Hopkins was, was investigating uh, alien abductees? What was this guy doing? Was he outlining his, his next porn book? I mean, what, what was he doing? I mean, now he has the audacity after all this time to put out a piece of garbage article like this and the intelligencer in New York published it and this it's it's like fiction it's it's total fiction it's all made up it's it's designed to make people stupid stupider actually stupid the stupider that's what they should call this that 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 play that uh, publication the stupider that's what i'm going to call it but yeah so here you go all you all flying saucers according to this guy balloons dead alien body reports mutilated monkeys that were uh, uh, used in experiments by the government and flown around in balloons and v2 rockets and that's all it is and they were wearing these uh suit that that wearing these tight fitting suits he's saying that were that people are confused by it all all these all these years and again those those monkey tests weren't going on in 1947 by the way i just want to point that out to this dumbbell uh yeah anyway uh yeah uh, um i know it was a lot of talking about a debunker today but i think it was necessary i i i don't know what else to say about these people except i i think what's going on here i think that they're scared out of their minds over this whole reality they don't want to accept it and they'll they'll try to rewrite reality from whoever will give them the platform to do so and that's what the the, the stupider did for this guy here uh basically they're allowing him to try to uh, change the reality of the situation and that's what he's doing here he's, and he's trying to uh, at the same time you see what he's trying to do he's trying to ca- assassinate the character of people like Leslie Kane uh, the late Bud Hopkins David Jacobs uh, Jeremy Corbell George Knapp all of them that's what he's trying to do and he's trying to make anybody who believes in this kind of stuff silly. Uh, you're, you're, all, all, what you really saw was a balloon. Well, what, what about the people, the guys, that, the little men that came in the house and dragged me into the spaceship? Oh, no, that was, you, you must be crazy then because I don't believe you. That's what he's saying. I mean, basically, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to re-stigmatize this whole topic. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to push the toothpaste back into the tube. And this guy, whether he's uh, just a useful idiot or whether he's uh, actually knows what he's doing and he's but is asked to do this by somebody, uh, that's what they're trying to do. Nicholson Baker, wow, a new debunker that we have to deal with on a regular basis. Anyway, uh, I want to say thank you all for joining me. Until next time.